Hi, everybody. This week, we're looking back on 2022 by celebrating the year's superlatives. The biggest, the best, the most. Today, we're revisiting the show that made us the hungriest. In September, CityCast Houston newsletter writer Brooke Lewis and I talked with Ope Amosu, founder of the West African restaurant Chop and Block, one of the brightest successes in the super stylish post-Houston. It's Thursday, December 29th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Chef Ope, thank you so much for being with us today. How would you describe Chop and Block to someone who has never been there? That's a good question. So Chop and Block, um, I say it's the cultural crossroads where West African culinary traditions and local communities intersect. Uh, to share an experience that's fresh, honest, friendly, and flavorful. And um, really, it's uh, it's just, uh, you know, what I believe has been a um, life-enhancing experience for, you know, most of all who who get an opportunity to come and, come, and, come and fellowship with us. So how did you start it? How did you come to start it? And what is your connection to West African food? Yeah, so um, I would say... Um, you know, I grew up on West African food. I'm Nigerian. Um, was actually born in England, but made it out to Houston uh, by the age of three, and um, you know, ultimately grew up in, in a Nigerian household in in, in America. So, um, definitely something that's been a part of me, just the cultural aspect since day one. And uh, the older I got, um, and just the further along I got in life and my career. Um, you know, I started just to really feel uneasy about the lack of access there was in the broader community to the culture that I grew up knowing and loving so well, um, as well as um, the lack of acknowledgement for a lot of the contributions that the culture, the diaspora um, play into broader society. And so I just wanted to take the opportunity to shine light on that. And um, that's really where the, where the passion for pursuing this came from. Um, not so much about food, unfortunately. Uh-huh. I know people don't really like, <laughs> like to hear that. but um, You didn't think as a little kid you're going to be a chef? <laughs> no, no way. No way. Um, and, and if I'm very honest, I, don't, I still don't even really call myself that. Um, I just had to pick up techniques on my way of, of being able to really uh, – channel this story. But, you know, as I look at it, to me, the storyline is what's most important. The narrative is what's most important. And I wanted to make sure that if I felt as passionate about it, I had my own opportunity to contribute towards it. So um, good food and a good beat is just a universal language that everyone speaks. And so that's why I figured that would be the best medium to be able to, to make this imprint. Yeah. And growing up, I know that you have some interesting nicknames that led to your chef journey. Um, I know Chef Homeboy is one of them. And then also you made something called <laughs> Ope Sauce um, in elementary school. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Oh, wow. Wow. You are really going into the archives. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, food has always been, um, you know, associated with just good times, good experiences, and a lot of nostalgia I have goes back to me participating, not as a, as a cook or a chef, but really just, you know, savoring the flavors that have come across many, many plates of mine. Um, but actually in, in grade school, 
like, I mean, I was probably like in like second or third grade. We had just started, you know, <laughs> getting access to the school cafeteria. Um, before then, like lunch would always be brought to the classroom. And so, you know, there's different condiments over there. And I figured, hey, let me go ahead and mix a little bit of this ketchup with some <laughs> mayo and some some uh, mustard and salt and pepper. I mean, that's the recipe. It's pretty basic, but, um, you know, and, and, and people started dipping their French fries in it and, and they gave me the credit for it. So that's, that was what the initial Opie sauce was. Um, but then, uh, chef homeboy that came in my college days, actually, uh, back, back in my, uh, my, my fraternity members gave me that name. Um, uh -huh. I played football in college. What school? We also, uh, Truman state, Northeast Missouri. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, you know, during family weekend, um, one of the things as a fraternity we'd like to do is just, you know, give back to the community at the same time, you know, hang out with, with the family and parents and everyone coming in. And we would throw big, uh, you know, big barbecues. And so the very first one, we woke, we woke up the day of on family day and realized that we had been promoting this barbecue and none of us knew how to cook on a barbecue. <laughs> none of us knew how to grill. And so uh, fortunately, there was a, a, someone who just happened to be, uh, he actually joined another one of our fraternity members from a different school on this road trip. And he happened to be in the house and he taught me how to grill. And from there, I took my skills and continued to polish it to the point where uh, they took, uh, they looked at a can of Chef Boy RD and they were like, no, we're going to give you Chef Homeboy. That's, that's you. So that's, that's, that's the other nickname I was able to garner. I feel like I earned that one. <laughs> so what were you studying in college? Were you planning to go into business? Oh, uh, absolutely. So I was a business major, um, marketing and management. Um, you know, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do outside of athletics. And, um, but I did feel like, uh, you know, one day I wanted to to build something and I wanted to be able to lead something. And I thought of business really being, you know, where I saw myself in in and ultimately leading some sort of, of company. And uh my natural knack is in marketing. So that's what I channeled. And then um, you know, after getting out of school, uh took a couple of sales uh jobs. I started my career in sales and then I went and got an MBA at Rice and focused on energy and entrepreneurship and uh, ultimately became a, a commercial executive um, in the energy space. Uh, that is yeah. not anywhere near restaurants. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing after you got that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, um, you know, I ended up getting a job uh, working uh -huh. on basically helping roll out a, the production chemicals business for, I was working for GE at the time uh globally so i was in charge of like markets in southeast asia and sales teams in latin america and the middle east um spent time in various different regions lived in dubai for a little bit and really like this was this really i graduated in 2014 i was in this career actually from 2014 all the way to 2021 a lot of people didn't know that i was doing this with chopping block at the same time um <laughs> but uh yeah you know there was really like you know, it kind of got to that point where, you know, you're pursuing your goals and, and you're, you're you kind of have this title and, you know, everything that comes with it. And at the end of the day, like, I still kind of felt like, man, this isn't really as satisfying. Um, you know, I didn't feel like a lot of what I was doing um, really spoke to me in the most natural sense. And um, that's when I also started asking myself, like, what really matters to me? And, you know, of the many things that matter to me, my culture is like really up there amongst the top. 
And so that's where I started really like noticing these patterns of, man, like the older I've gotten, it's been tough. I remember in undergrad, like when I got away from the house, it was hard for me to get access to the basic cultural elements, right? Like the music, the food, the language. And then I went back to Houston and I knew where to go find it. And then again, after business school, when I moved around the world, it's like everywhere I went, I always had to do what I did in Houston, which is go to where our immigrant community is and then go and like get food from there. But along the way, like I'm passing by all of these other cultural gateways that um, have been established in society. And I'm like, man, why do I always have to go out of my way to get access to that little bit of me. So and, gateways um, for other cultures, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. easy be, to find, again. say, great Mexican food here or great. Yeah, yeah. Food or even know. like, uh-huh. I mean, there's been a huge, uh, you know, Afrobeats and just, you know, West African and uh, musical um, wave that is now like permeated. But like, I mean, growing up, it wasn't like that. And, you know, but, you know, you started hearing like reggaeton music, like uh, before you heard this, you heard, uh, you know, uh, you know, Caribbean music and stuff. And so like, to me, it was just, you know, again, always had to go out of my way to, to get access to it. And I felt like, you know, I've been equipped in different ways to, 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 to be able to take this charter on. And that's when I said, oh, I'm gonna go do it through food because I like food. Um, everyone likes food. Everyone likes a good beat. You put those two together, you can get people's attention. And that's when I started becoming more intentional about really understanding like the culinary aspects of things. And that's when I started to immerse myself in culinary. And um, I had worked in restaurants in college, um, but never from the standpoint of wanting to, again, going to the food industry. But at that point was when I said, okay, hey, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to create the first, you know, contemporary West African inspired concept. I really need to immerse myself in the culinary field as well. And that's where I really started just getting that experience. Um, you know, first thing I did is I went to go apply for a job at Chipotle. Wait. They're always hiring. <laughs> yeah, right? you got to back, like, me... back up. You got to back up. So you're still working. Yeah. You're still working as Yeah, so I'm, I'm a corporate I'm a corporate sales executive in the daytime. And then uh-huh. at nighttime, I'm a prep cook at Chipotle. Like, <laughs> this was cutting... in Houston? Where was this? Uh, this was actually in Dallas. Uh-huh. I, was just, I was in Dallas at the time, bouncing yeah. between Dallas and uh, the West Texas oil fields. Did they know um, your day job? <laughs> um, a little bit, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I didn't tell them uh, I was an MBA grad and all of that. I just said, hey, uh, <laughs> I've worked in restaurants before and I'm looking for a job as a prep cook. And they they like what they saw. So they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah. Like I would do that. Um, I balance my hours accordingly. And, um, you know, I'd sometimes be tailing out of the office and uh, heading to the to the kitchen to go cut peppers and really to me though like you know I had done prep cook jobs when I was uh, working in restaurants in college and um, one thing that really stuck out to me and it's the same thing that stuck out to me in the in the energy space too was I saw so much value in those who unlike myself that went kind of that MBA route to get into this space and to get into leadership but those who really worked like out in the field and like really understood the inner workings of what it was that they were doing could speak the language and ultimately kind of grew up in that. And so that's the experience I wanted for myself when it came to culinary. Like I really wanted to understand at the base level, like how it works. And as a uh, prep cook, you often get unfortunately overlooked. And so that was a benefit to me, right. Um, is I could just be very observant and oh, I, got, I was able to better understand, um, you know, how, 
product flowed in and out of uh of the kitchen and and ultimately you know cut my teeth pay my dues and you know along the way make sure i gained as much respect for that position because i knew one day um you know i'm going to be running my own concept and i want to be able to have that same level of humility um you know as i you know make decisions so yeah i was doing both at the same time and um you know fortunately i think because what i'm working on or, or, or you know the story i'm sharing about the culture and the food that we're serving is uh still relatively unique to many um and they don't really know what to what to uh expect um it just piques a lot of curiosity and so with that i was able to you know ultimately like take that uh differentiator and use it as a way to you know ultimately help me get access to other folks in the culinary space that were just kind of curious and wanted to support what I was doing. And that's how I started working with, you know, some of the best chefs in the country and ultimately, you know, understanding how they approach their craft and, you know, gaining, gaining uh, experience from those who really inspired me. So people like level. Marcus Samuelson or. Yeah. Like yeah. chef Marcus. Uh -huh. um, I mean, even local, like yeah. one of my, one of my, uh, uh -huh. I would say like my, I probably can't say that this as my favorite chef. I tell her all the time. I mean, you're my favorite chef. But like Don Burrell, Don uh -huh. Burrell, that's my homie, um, yeah. Chef Don. Like she, she took to me um, early on, uh, even when like I was just starting to plan like my pop up series. Mm -hmm. um, her name had been passed out to me from uh, another chef I really like, a pastry chef named Karen Mann, out here locally as well, and um, that's how the connection was made. So I mean, we go back to before. I like to say before she made it, before, before I'm, I, I, I don't think I've made it yet. I'm just still trying to cut my teeth, but she's made it. Um, but yeah, so worked okay. with her. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it's fortunate, you know, now I'm doing things with, you know, Chef Kwame and Wachi and have a good relationship now with Chef Eric Ajapong. So it's just been good to see, you know, people really, you know, stand behind and, and support what I'm doing and really try to pour into just ultimately seeing this vision succeed. So it looks to me like Chop and Block is just succeeding wildly. You know, when I'm there, there's a line. I know lots of people who are raving about, especially that jollof rice, the jambalaya smoky rice that I think is just a great match for Texas and Houston in particular. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, are you surprised by like the reception, how enthusiastic it seems to be? Or it was this the plan you you had that in your business yeah, I plan? Mean, I say this yeah. I say this like with the most like humility there like I'm not surprised but I'm very appreciative. Um, it's like what I was like it's why I made this drastic change and like was like I just really felt like this was a fundamental like flaw in society that had to be fixed and so you know you know I grew up on this and I often like. Um, I often reference the iPad. I remember when the iPad was first launched, everyone's like, why do you need an iPad? Like, you don't need one, especially if you already have like a smartphone or an iPod. Like, what do you need a bigger version of it for? And now it's like borderline a necessity is to have a tablet, right? People didn't know what it was that they were missing out on. And that's how I felt about just this story and this culture. And, you know, I really didn't want anyone else to like have, um, 
the power to like miss and miss misinterpret it or, or or share it incorrectly. And that's why I took a lot of ownership behind it. But no, I think we have the ancestors to 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 um thank for how successful it's been because the other thing too is that it it influences the culture that I'm that I'm discussing, right? It's what over 50 million people in this country come from, right? And um you know, it influences beyond that as well. And so the reason that I really believed it was going to be successful is because people are already like eating these foods and flavors and so on today. They just aren't understanding like where it originated from. So all we're doing is really just kind of helping that to resurface and, you know, give its credit where it's due and, um, you know, share it in a, in a nice positive light. And so it's been great to see the reception. I'm very, very appreciative of it. Um, but I've believed in it, you know, since the beginning and I continue to. It looks to me like it is like this great concept. I can very easily imagine Chipotle-like restaurants chopping blocks across the country. Is that what you're going for? Can I hope that you're doing it? (laughs) Amen. I mean, I don't know about Chipotle numbers. Those are a lot of numbers, but... um, But y'all are good. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But but definitely, I mean, I won't sell it short either. You know, the vision for this is, is again, to take my skill set... that I feel like God has, has, has blessed me with and exposed me with, and, you know, taking the business aspect of things I'm familiar with. And ultimately, like my intention was always to build this to scale. So giving it the runway to be able to do so, um, you know, Houston makes a lot of sense for this to be the first location just because Houston has the, sar- the second largest, um, well, the third, the second largest West African community um, outside of, West Africa, the largest Nigerian community um, in the States. And, you know, there's other major cities that are not that far behind. Right. And so I look at just the fact that, again, the diaspora has such a large imprint on communities. Um, You know, I'm pretty sure that you can reference a classmate or, you know, a, a friend, a coworker who comes with this background. And so it's not necessarily it's not necessarily foreign for you to, you know, venture out and give it a shot. And there's so many markets where that's still the case. So, um, you know, the vision is, you know, building this thing to scale and then being able to let it do its thing. And my prayer is that it is definitely uh, beyond Houston. (laughs) Yeah. And just what's next for Chop and Block? I know that you just said you hinted at possibly expanding. Um, Is there a, a new site popping up anytime soon or I wish I could announce one. Working on one. Um, <laughs> um, uh-huh. you know, definitely working on it for sure. Um, so I have a few uh, a few uh, ongoing conversations with with multiple spaces. Uh, just trying to see where the right fit's going to be. Uh, if there's anyone that's interested in seeing a chopping block, also feel free to reach out. Always open to those <laughs> conversations as well. But no, um, uh-huh. in all seriousness, though, like you know, I, I'm confident in saying, like, yeah, growth is is really important to us um but growth growing intentionally like not just growing for the sake of growth but really being intentional about it um and being able to you know understand you know where and when it makes sense for us to be where it is that we're ordered to be um and that's important and then you know the last thing, the other thing too is we're not just a restaurant in my opinion like we're just really living out a mission our mission is to share the beauty of west african culture um, through food that reshapes society's daily routine and the restaurant helps us to get people's attention but you know there's other tentacles that I would love to be able to pull people into because 
you know, my goal is when people walk into the restaurant, like, yeah, you came for the food or you came because you taste the flavors, but then like you really had an experience and it doesn't have to be over the top, but you know, maybe you heard some music that like you don't really hear all the time and that, mm-hmm. you know, you're really appreciative of, or maybe it's, you know, our, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the cookbooks that we have on the shelves or, you know, just really even like just the, any form of like knowledge or information that you can pull in that five, 10, 15 minutes that you're waiting for your food. Like that's, what's really important to me. Um, and so, you know, I think, if you look at like how we came up with pop-ups and you know experiences like those aren't those haven't died either so we're looking at doing more of those more programming as well um and ultimately just uh you know seeing you know how best it is that we can really you know live our mission yeah i was going to just touch on one last thing that you said about the pop-up experiences because i noticed that you know you did a promotion like a cross cross promotion with yvonne orgy um, who's a popular actress on Insecure, who a lot of people know, who's also a very proud Nigerian woman. Um, and then also I've seen that you guys did something with Kindred earlier, which, you know, that's a bookstore. So I, I've seen how you guys have are branching out of just the normal restaurant world. Can we expect, um, you know, in the coming months, is there a specific event coming up? Yeah, more, more, more heat, more heat on the way for sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, we're all about like the friends of the block is what we call them. Like Yvonne has really become like a very solid friend of the block. Um, Y'all should check out our HBO special that's on HBO right now called "I Made It." It is very. She has another one that's coming out on October first. I'm gonna be out there with her in LA on that day as well. So I'm excited for that. Um, But. yeah, you know, definitely like any way that we can amplify the voices of those who are also pushing this narrative alongside us, we're all for it. Um, made good relationships with kindred stories here locally. Um, and so we are always in conversations of ways to work together, um, even right now, um, looking at ways that we can work together in store too. Um, so that relationship just kind of continues to grow on a day to day basis. Um, we are planning, uh, some programming at the end of November for our one year anniversary. And so, you know, more, more coming up on that. I don't want to spill the beans too much because <laughs> we still got some more signatures to get, uh, to make, to, you know, before I feel uh-huh. comfortable doing that. But, um, I do look forward to promoting that. So if you are, uh, you know, following us on our social media, specifically on Instagram at chopping block, C-H-O-P-N-B-L-O-K underscore. <laughs> Um, you know, more information is definitely coming that way or even better uh-huh. go on our website and sign up on our block list. And, um, that's where all that, that information, you know, first gets channeled out, but absolutely, uh, end of November, big programming on the way. Hopefully you that are all listening to it will be in attendance. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the, thanks for, uh, taking the time and, and the conversation and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I love just kind of seeing, you know, God's purpose shine out in, in, in what we do. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, this makes me want chopping blocks. So I'll go again this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's the danger. That was Ope Amosu, the founder of Chop and Block, and Brooke Lewis, who writes the CityCast newsletter, Hey Houston. One quick update. Since we recorded that episode, Amosu has continued to bask in media love. 
In June, he was one of the chefs that Bloomberg Businessweek picked to share their Juneteenth menus. And in October, he was in a New York Times story about West African chefs. That is all for our show today. Tomorrow, we'll be finishing up our week of superlatives with Houston's biggest celebration. You don't want to miss that. We'll talk with you then. That was Chef Ope Omosu and Houston, blah, 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 wherever the heck we are. I started to call her Houston Chronicle.